All right, I'd like to welcome you now to part six of uh, what in the world is going on, can we trust the government, and got a lot of uh, material here that I really can't wait to kind of get into, uh, and, uh, and it's going to be one of those like part three that could end up being a little bit longer. But uh, as always, if you, get, if you have other commitments or you get tired or you just think uh, this is boring and you need to step out, by all means step out. Uh, you can always catch the video later. But for those of you uh, joining us online, I want to welcome you uh, as well. A couple of preliminary, preliminary notes, then we'll get right to it. Um, obviously, this is uh, part six. So the first five parts, we started out by talking about the Great Satanic Reset. Spent a lot of time in Scripture showing how right now it appears that the Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, among many other uh, co-conspirators, are kind of in the driver's seat. Doesn't mean he's the Antichrist or anything, but he's definitely kind of front and center, and we kind of made some connections to some of the things they're doing with their transhumanism and all of that, and some of the biblical uh, uh, principles of, of the end times that we see coming. Part two, we looked at COVID-19 and the depopulation agenda. And uh, that's pretty self-explanatory, but I think a lot of people were surprised at just how prevalent the depopulation agenda really is and how that goes right back to Satan, who loves death and has been uh, a murderer from the beginning, according to our Lord Jesus. Then part three, we looked at the uh, experimental uh, gene-editing bioinjections, and that was a really power-packed, uh, information-packed a presentation, part three. Then part four was Agenda 2030 and the Luciferian timeline, and we kind of use their own words to talk about what they feel like is the timeline and why so many people who study this believe that we are, in fact, uh, headed towards uh, rapidly towards the end game. Uh, and then last week, uh, we looked at preparedness tips and devoted the whole 90 minutes to preparedness tips. We are in the process of converting that presentation into a uh, handout. Uh, Nancy graciously uh, transcribed it, and I've been working on it this week, putting it in its final form. As soon as that's available, it'll be posted at the Not By Works website, and you can download that. So a uh, couple of uh, reminders. Uh, uh, please subscribe to our newsletter at notbyworks.org, because that's the way to stay in touch with all of our free resources, our podcasts, our other uh, videos, uh, articles that I write each week and things like that. Also, we also send out reminders about our presentations and changes in that. And this is particularly important to sign up now if you haven't already, because next Wednesday, we will not meet on the 8th. I'll be in Alaska for a conference at uh, a Pioneer Baptist Church in Wasilla. Uh, this is a conference that's been scheduled for uh, quite almost two years that it's been scheduled, but it's been rescheduled three times because of the uh, pandemic. So we're thankful to finally get to be up there with those folks. So no meeting next Wednesday. Our next uh, uh, message in this series will be two weeks from tonight, part seven. And I have an inkling of what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to say because I may change my mind before then, and I don't want uh, to put that out there, but working on that already. Uh, also, a reminder to save your questions for the end, and we'll try to capture those on the live stream. Um, and for those of you live streaming, I've heard from some of you that we need to do a better job of holding the mic close when you ask the question because they can't hear it on the recording, so please uh, remember that. And I think that's everything. So uh, with that, uh, let me remind you, I, wanna, I haven't mentioned this in a while, at least not on the screen, but uh, 
my spirit of the Antichrist really overlaps in several ways with a lot of the stuff we've talked about so far in what in the world is going on. And I encourage you to check that out. If you go to our website, click on videos and click spirit of the Antichrist, it takes you to a kind of a summary of what that's all about, the titles of each of the 18 videos. And there's also a 75 minute free video presentation where I compressed it all into one and I spoke on that in uh, Tulsa earlier this year. So it'll kind of give you a, a little taste of what that full series is about. But tonight we're going to be talking about can we trust the government? And we're seeing more and more and more calls for a government mandate for the COVID-19 vaccines. And so since we're seeing that, and it seems to be really gaining steam, it is even all the more important to be able to answer this question, can we trust the government? So let me just show you a few headlines. This from August 25th, uh, where CNN writes, you do not have the constitutional right to refuse the COVID-19 vaccine. I don't know if you agree with that, but we'll, we'll find out what God's Word says in a moment. Uh, then we've got the LA Times. Uh, government has the power to mandate COVID-19 vaccination right now. They should use it. Uh, this is from a Congressional Research uh, Service that uh, produced a, I uh, forget how many pages it was, but a rather lengthy document that they presented to Congress on April 2nd. And they concluded a vaccination mandate is one available legal tool that governments could use to increase COVID-19 vaccine uptake, quote, unquote. Uh, we've already talked about uh, in, the, in some of our past presentations how there's already legislation that's been brought forth. It's in committee uh, in suggesting that you not be able to travel across state lines unless you've got the COVID vaccination, you can't get on a plane originating from the U.S. or arriving to the U.S. if you don't have the vaccination. Uh, we don't know where that uh, legislation is going to go, but it's out there. This from NPR on August 12th. Can the government make me get the COVID vaccine? And if you read the article, they suggest a resounding yes. Uh, here from the San Jose Mercury News. Pfizer approval brings call for government mandates. And then this is from NBC. COVID vaccine mandates sweep across corporate America as the Delta variant spurs action. And we've talked about uh, the truth behind the Delta variant already. So speaking of these uh, vaccines, I want to remind you that we do have some of the vaccination solicitation signs still available at the back. Or if you're watching this either live stream or by video later, you can go to the Not By Work store and you can see those. Uh, there. These are brought to you in partnership with uh, Curtis Chamberlain and the Christian Underground News Network. It's just basically a way of saying when they do the Doses to Doors program and they come knocking on your door that, thank, no thanks, uh, you, you know, go away. So the question then is, should we trust what the government is saying about the vaccines? Should we roll up our sleeves, let someone stick a needle in our arms because the CDC, the FDA, and President Biden all say that it's safe? Well, that's the key question. And the pressure is going to get stronger and stronger because this is the end game for the Luciferian agenda. Now, as I've said many times, it doesn't mean they're going to succeed. We know biblically they will succeed ultimately for at least seven years prior to the return of Christ to establish his kingdom. Uh, but we, we, and we know they want to succeed in very short order. We talked about that two sessions ago in the timetable. But we also know that the Luciferians are not omnipotent. They're not omniscient. Satan does not know everything. Uh, they are also rather internally conflicted. There are competing agendas. There are 
facets of the conspiracy that are uh, working against each other. It is not a monolithic situation where the Luciferian elite at the top of the pyramid can just push a button and everything happens. So that's number one. Number two, of course, as Bible-believing Christians, we know that God's sovereignty has a thing or two to say about the timetable. And uh, we don't know when he's going to say enough's enough and, and allow the end game to usher in and uh, call the church home to, uh, to meet the Lord in the air and then unfold in rapid succession all of that 16% of the Bible that is yet to be fulfilled. Remember, 16% of the Bible, roughly speaking, but it's pretty accurate, uh, is unfulfilled prophecy. And so we know what's going to happen. We just don't know when. The rapture is a mystery. It's imminent. It could happen at any time. And as we look around at what's happening uh, before us, it sure seems like it's going to be soon. Yesterday on our podcast we did uh, with Christian Underground News Network, it was titled, uh, Why I Believe in a Pre-Trib Rapture. And so it's a really good one-hour, succinct, well-structured defense of that point of view. But as I said on the program yesterday, it doesn't really matter whether you believe in pre-trib or post-trib, because we all agree, or at least you know, the people that I know in the pre-trib camp, all agree that uh, we could face intense suffering before the Lord comes back. Nobody in the dispensational pre-trib world ever teaches that somehow the rapture rescues Christians before they have to suffer. That is not the case. And, and, uh, and so the rapture just rescues us before the great day of the Lord's wrath, but we may, as have many Christians for 2,000 years, have to suffer unspeakable persecution if, if the Lord doesn't come back soon. So we all want the same thing. We want to be aware and be prepared for what might be coming and recognize that we're not in any privileged class here in America. Believers all over the globe have been suffering and are suffering even today for the cause of Christ. And we've been pretty spoiled in our own country. So the pressure is going to get stronger and stronger, and uh, the end game is fast upon us, and now, right now, is the time to decide uh, what to do. The Bible says, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. That was God's word 2,000 years ago in the beginning of the church age, and it's just as powerful and relevant today. Remember, this whole series is predicated upon the biblical command to be prepared, a prudent man foresees the difficulties ahead and prepares for them. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers uh, the consequences. And we talked about that last week. So we know we're told in Scripture, commanded in fact to be sober and vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And God has not given us a spirit of fear but a power of love and of a sound mind. We should never be scared but we do need to be prepared, trusting God simultaneously as we make necessary preparations for what might uh, come ahead. Uh, if you are sitting on the track and you see the train barreling down at you, uh, you don't just sit there with your arms folded right in the middle of the track and say, God will protect me. You take necessary precautions to make sure you don't get squashed flat as a pancake by that train coming. Uh, so uh, the first section that I want to talk about tonight, before we can decide can we trust the government, we need to define some terms. So who do we mean by who is the government? Well, we opened up this series several weeks ago by looking at Scripture and talking about the institution of, God, of human government from God's plan of the ages. And we talked about how when God created the world, it was a globalist uh, world. There were no nation states. It was a one-world government, starting with Adam and Eve, and then all the way up until after the flood. And after the flood, 
we see in Genesis 10, the nations begin to take uh, shape. And then in chapter 11, we saw the Tower of Babel. We talked about that. We talked about Nimrod and some of those things in part one. But we basically said, while we have been in a nationalism worldview, God ordained, by the way, God, right now in the present age, this is an age of national sovereignty. And we see that through scripture and up to the present age. We do know from scripture that ultimately we're headed back towards a globalist structure. And that one world global government is going to be led initially by the Antichrist at the behest of Satan. First S2 and Daniel uh, 8 and others talk about that. And, uh, and then, of course, ultimately by the king of kings himself when Christ comes back, takes the throne, and rules with a rod of iron. And I am suggesting, as are many others, that we are right on the brink, right on the cusp of this return to a globalist uh, system. So uh, we don't know. Uh, when the rapture is going to happen, obviously, we also must point out that the globalist one world system might already be in place before the Antichrist takes the helm of it. In other words, the Antichrist doesn't uh, institute the one world system. He steps into the role of world leader once a one world system is already in place. So uh, we don't know uh, the timetable, but again, it sure looks like we're headed in, uh, rapidly into that. So a couple of points as we talk about the government. First of all, we need to make very clear that there are isolated individual members of government at all levels who are honest and God-fearing. And this is true even within the cesspool of the Beltway in Washington, D.C. Uh, every two years, as you know, uh, Congress turns over, and every two years there are biblical, born-again, patriotic uh, Americans who step up. You know, you got 435 of them, and they can't control all of them, though they do control the vast majority of them. And they step up, and they feel like they can make a difference, and maybe they're from a district that's not already controlled by the Luciferians, so somehow they're able to raise enough money, get enough support, and, they, they, and their ballots are actually literally counted and not digitally manipulated, and so they get in. And uh, we need to understand that, and I've, I know some of them, you may as well, that at every levels of government, there are people that are sincere, principled, and wanting to make a difference in this world. So I'm not painting with a broad brush that says every single person in the government is evil. But I can tell you, and we're going to talk about some of that tonight, that by and large, uh, most have either been paid or played by, by this point. And there's just too much documentation of that, too many whistleblowers, too many firsthand uh, accounts, and so, but we want to make sure we recognize that there are God-fearing individuals in government, and those are the ones we need to pray for. Uh, but the big picture is this. The government is controlled and has been for millennia by a Luciferian elite operating from behind the scenes. And we make this case extensively in a variety of different places, and I want to kind of do a quick summary of it uh, here in the context of what in the world is, is going on. But I would recommend... The Great Last Day's Deception, or Spirit of the Antichrist, or Illuminating the New World Order, or Red, White, and Bad, or any of the other DVDs that uh, touch on it. The bottom line is, history as we know it is not the truth. We have been uh, deceived. Uh, Leo Tolstoy said that, you know, the Russian writer, history would be a wonderful thing if only it were true. Napoleon Bonaparte said, what is history but a fable agreed upon? And uh, Churchill, of course, said, history will be kind to me. For I intend to write it. 
Uh, Samuel Langhorne Clemens, also known as Mark Twain, said the very ink with which history is written is merely fluid prejudice. George Santayana said if you can't remember the past, you're condemned uh, to repeat it. And Eric Arthur Blair, who wrote under the pen name George Orwell, said who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. So who is it that controls the past? Well, we know that once Satan was kicked out of heaven and he couldn't overcome the throne in the heavenlies, he decided to target the earth. And this created earth became uh, his coveted prize. And so uh, if you recall when Satan very early on in the biblical record chronologically uh, approached God in heaven and asked if he could target Job, what did God uh, say? Where do you come from, Lucifer? And Satan said, I come from, the, from going to and fro upon the earth. And the Bible says the whole earth is under the, the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the God of this age. And from the time he confronted Adam and Eve in the garden and they fell, sin entered the world, death entered the world, and he has been striving ever since to defeat the creator of the universe, God himself. And he's doing it co with co-conspirators, namely his demons, which were one-third of the angels that followed him out of heaven and fell with him and human agents. And th this has been well documented, the bloodlines of, of these Luciferians going all the way back to the ancient Near East. And, and you know, for 6,000 years of human history, we know that there are human co-conspirators working with Satan to try to take over the world. I've charted this out uh, in previous uh, presentations and in my book, but in uh, in, in the, the big picture, we know that there's roughly six or eight families that are at the top of the a pyramid. You don't really see them. They're not the face of the conspiracy, but they're the ones talking to Satan and directly and getting their marching orders from him, much like we as believers talk to the Lord of God in prayer and get our marching orders from his revealed uh, word in scripture. Uh, then at the second tier, you've got literally hundreds of thousands of people. Many of these that are in the upper echelons of this group are aware that it's a Luciferian conspiracy, but many are not. Many think that, uh, you know, they're, they know that they're doing something evil, they're doing something illegal, they know they're doing something uh, sinful on some level, because Romans tells us the conscience bears witness, uh, but they, they are not aware of the full picture. They're, it's very compartmentalized. And then at the bottom level, we have clearly well over a million people uh, that are key parts of this conspiracy, most of which have no idea. And the reason I mentioned a moment ago that it's very conflicted, there's internal conflicts and, and struggles and power struggles, is because particularly at that third level there, you've got uh, very wealthy people, very powerful people who are not aware that they are pawns in the Luciferian game, but rather are, are using this evil to uh, affect their own means, like they're hungry for money, they're hungry for power, whatever it might be. And so... You know, you may have CIA uh, operatives or FBI operatives that are not good people. They don't have any idea they're, they're doing someone else's uh, bidding, but they have their own agendas. And uh, so, you know, sometimes I'll hear people say things like, well, I have an aunt that, you know, is a secretary on the third floor of the CIA building in Langley, and, and she never talks about the Luciferian conspiracy. And, you know, sometimes sarcastically, I just want to say, oh, well, that proves that I'm, this all must be wrong, <laughs> right? So obviously, it's, it's very compartmentalized. And when you get to that bottom level, there are a lot of people who are on a need-to-know basis, and they don't need uh, to know. Uh, Saul Alinsky, 
who wrote Rules for Radicals. Uh, uh, he uh, is uh, this. He, he was one of uh, President Barack Obama's key mentors, and he, you know, uh, Obama was heavily influenced by uh, Alinsky and followed his uh, you know paradigm in his Chicago-based community organizing that he did. But in Rules for Radicals, he dedicates the book to Lucifer. Why? Because he knew that that's who's pulling the strings. In fact, in an interview with Playboy magazine in 1972. He said, quote, I can't wait to get to hell because they're my kind of people. And by the way, that was about 18 years before Donald Trump would later appear on the cover of his good friend Hugh Hefner's magazine in Playboy in 1990. So Carol Quigley, we've talked a lot. This is a name you ought to get to know. Uh, Carol Quigley was a uh, key part of the Council on Foreign Relations, kind of their historian. And he was at all of their meetings taking copious notes. And he finally composed all those and put them into this book called Tragedy and Hope. Now, it's a huge tome. It weighs over eight pounds. It's 1,300 pages. Uh, for a while, it went out of print because when he exposed some of the plans of the Council on Foreign Relations, they didn't intend for him to do that. So they were not very happy. So they took up all the printing plates and they, made, they got all the old or the available copies that were out there in the bookstores, burned them, and they tried to rid the world of of this book, somebody had kept a group of the plates back, and so it eventually made it into a reprinting. But uh, if you can't read the whole book, and I don't know who possibly could, I would definitely read a couple of Cliff's Notes versions of it. One is by Cleon Skousen called The Naked Capitalist. Cleon Skousen, you may know that name. Last week I recommended Joel Skousen, who is a great uh, a source of information about the Luciferian conspiracy. Joel Skousen was, is Cleon's nephew, uh, and this book uh, is a must-have for your library. And then the other one is by Gary Allen, None Dare Call It Conspiracy. Both of them essentially are high-level summaries of the information from A Tragedy and Hope. As I said, it was eventually republished in 2004, and you can uh, get it today. Another great summary of some of the exposés that Carol Quigley gives is by Jonathan Taylor Gatto in his um, uh, five-hour video interview called The Ultimate History Lesson. Uh, I think some of you have watched that. Very, very insightful and kind of connects a lot of uh, the dots. But let's see what Carol Quigley had to say. He said in his book, based on information that he had gotten from the secret meetings of the Council on Foreign Relations, that what the goal of the Luciferian conspiracy is nothing less than to create a world system of financial control in private hands. He said the individual's freedom and choice will be controlled. He will be numbered from birth, and even his health and medical requirements will be controlled globally. Uh, Winston Churchill said that from the days of Spartacus, Weishaupt, Karl Marx, and Trotsky, this world conspiracy has been steadily uh, growing. Uh, President Teddy Roosevelt said, Behind the ostensible government sits enthroned an invisible government. Manly P. Hall, an avowed Satanist and uh, uh, who wrote uh, The Secret Teachings of All Ages, basically an encyclopedic outline of Masonic, Hemetic, Kabbalistic, and Rosicrucian philosophy. He was a 33rd uh, degree uh, Mason, Scottish Rite. And he said, There are invisible powers behind the thrones of earth, and men are but marionettes dancing while the invisible ones pull the string, strings. And his uh, quote, uh, which is very true, as we know from a variety of other sources, 
uh, became the inspiration for the cover of my book, The Great Last Day's Deception, in 2012. You notice there's a, a puppet master, and then you know, you've got the Kremlin and the, the Capitol building in D.C. And, and all those other things, indicating that there's always something in the unseen realm at play, and it's never about what it's about. And Ephesians 6 uh, tells us that. Woodrow Wilson, as you, in his famous quote, you may have heard this, said, Since I entered politics, I've had men's views confided to me pri privately, and these are some of the biggest men in the U.S. in the field of commerce and manufacture, and they are afraid of something. They know there's a power somewhere so organized, so subtle, watchful, interlocked, complete, pervasive, that they better not speak above their breath when they speak in condemnation of it. FDR, Teddy's cousin, said, In politics, nothing happens by accident. If it happens, you can bet it was planned. That way. Now, Edward Bernays is a key figure. We've talked about him before, and I spent quite a bit of time talking about him in uh, my Spirit of the Antichrist uh, series. But he died in uh, 1995, lived a long life, 104 years old, in fact. He was born in 1891. He was an Austrian-American pioneer in the uh, field of public relations. He's kind of the propaganda inventor, if you uh, will, and uh, he's known as the father of public relations in among his many books are uh, the most famous Crystallizing Public Opinion and Propaganda, both written in the 20s. But he said, The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in a democratic society. And those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government. He goes on, There are invisible rulers who control the destinies of millions. They're operating behind the scenes. Even former Supreme Court Justice Felix Frankfurter said the real rulers in Washington are invisible and exercise power from behind the scenes. There it is again. Former British Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli said the world is governed by very different personages than those who are not themselves behind the scene. Then is imagined by those who are not themselves behind the scenes. So when we talk about who is the government, we need to understand the layers of this uh, conspiracy. Um, Jesuit priest uh, Father Arupe said, This conspiracy makes use of every possible means at its disposal, holding complete sway. Holding complete sway. Even former President Clinton said, There is a government inside the government, and I don't control it. Uh, um, Benjamin Desrally again said, There are secret societies which have everywhere their unscrupulous agents. We're going to talk about secret societies somewhere down the road here. David Rockefeller uh, said, who died, by the way, just a few, two or three years ago at the age of 101. Some even believe we are, part, in his memoirs, he said, some even believe we're part of a secret cabal, uh, you know, working with others to create a world government, a one world system, if you will. And if that's the charge, I stand guilty. He said, we're on the verge of a global transformation. All we need is the right major crisis, and the nations will accept the new world order. He actually said, if you can believe this, and openly, many times, uh, this was at a trilateral com uh, commission meeting in 1991, so some 30 years ago now, the world is now more sophisticated and prepared to march towards a one-world government. The supranational sovereignty of an intellectual elite, like himself, is surely preferable to the national auto-determination practiced in past centuries. In other words, we're not smart enough to run a country. Only the elite, the Luciferian elite, is smart enough to run the world. Henry Kissinger, 
uh, who's still living, said today America would be outraged if UN troops entered Los Angeles to restore order. Tomorrow, they will be grateful. This is especially true if they were told that there were an outside threat from beyond, whether real or promulgated. Remember, we've talked about false flags, how they'll use the Hegelian dialectic problem-reaction-solution to get their way. So in his mind, it doesn't matter whether the threat's genuine or not. Uh, all they need to know is that their very existence is threatened, and they will roll over. Because it is then, when they feel that fear, that all the people of the world will plead to deliver them from this evil. The one thing every man fears is the unknown. And when presented with this scenario, individual rights will be willingly relinquished in favor of a world government. So we need to understand that the government is controlled, and the world indeed is controlled, by a Luciferian elite operating from behind the scenes. That's what God's Word tells us, and that's what the evidence for anyone who takes the time to read it will show. The next thing we need to understand is that in the United States, national and state elections are rigged. If you read a Great Last Day's Deception that I referenced earlier in chapter, forget what chapter it is, but it's the chapter where I give the top ten lies that most people believe. Lie number eight in that chapter is the battle can be won at the ballot box. That's the lie. And I've been talking about this for 15 years. I was so glad that finally in 2020 many people began to realize that the Chinese own the tabulation machines and that Anything digital cannot be uh, really counted on. You have no provenance of the vote. It's all just a rigged game. You, you walk in, you feel like you did your patriotic civic duty, and then later on they announce who uh, won. Uh, Carol Quigley talks about this. This is what the CFR has been planning since you know, the 60s and 70s. And uh, he said they put together the fake uh, right-left paradigm. And I've been exposing that again for many, many years. Uh, there is no right-left paradigm. It's a fake-out. I expose, uh, I instead prefer to expose the right-wrong paradigm based on God's Word, not the right-left paradigm. But he said the argument that the two parties should represent opposed ideals and policies, one perhaps on the right, the other on the left, is a foolish idea. Instead, the two parties will actually be almost identical so that every four years the uh, voting public can throw the rascals out without leading to any profound or extensive shifts in policy. Why do you think that time and again, when we have these shifts and the pendulum swings right and then left, right and then left, you know, the Gingrich Revolution, the Tea Party Revolution, the Trump Revolution, when we control the White House, Congress, and the Senate, nothing changes. We haven't overturned Roe v. Wade. We haven't stopped gay marriage. We haven't stopped any of the far-left satanic attacks on biblical truth that, that this country was, was founded upon, because that's by design. They get us fixated on this right-left paradigm, and, and, and nothing ever changes. We could have changed Roe v. Wade when, I mean, we have a, allegedly a six to three conservative appointed judges on the Supreme Court now. You think they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade? They've been promising us forever, if you just elect me, Mr. Reagan, I'm going to appoint justices and we'll get that overturned. If you just elect me, Mr. Bush, you know, if you just elect me, Mr. Romney or Mr. Trump or whoever, you know, and we do, and now they can't really hide it anymore, which is one of the many reasons, many uh, little signs that we're heading toward the end, because at some point the, 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 the jig is up. They're going to know, you know, when you've got six conservatives on the, uh, on the Supreme Court and nothing happens, uh, that's a problem. But uh, there's no question people have been talking about the rigged elections for many, many years. Uh, it's, just, it's very easy to hack the electronic voting system, if they can hack into the NSA's servers, 
You don't think they can hack into a voting tabulation system? Uh, mainstream news has talked about this. Every time there's a national election, mainstream news covers some of the cybersecurity concerns and how we can have ballot box integrity. There have been congressional hearings about it. There have been books written about it, white papers written about it. People have died on the way to testify before Congress that they were paid $100,000 to rig the votes in certain counties and certain states so that that state flipped for one candidate or the other. All of this is documented in some documentaries like that, Hacking Democracy, or Invisible Ballots, which is, uh, uh, or Black Box Voting, which is also available as a book and a DVD. Uh, right now, of course, we, it's, it's an easy case to be made because anybody with uh, a double-digit IQ or better can tell that the 2020 election was completely rigged. It, there's no question about it. Books are being written about it. There's overwhelming smoking gun evidence. Of course, the media continues to say, nothing to see here, nothing to see here, nothing to see here. This is not true. But it's, it's the louder um, they, uh, you know, it's like, what was it Mark Twain said of, of a guest for dinner? The, the louder he protested his innocence, the more we counted the spoons or something like that. You know, the, 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 the louder they talk about this is not, you know, this is all fake news, fake news, fake news. It, it, it's true. Remember what Joseph Stalin said, those who cast the votes decide nothing. Those who count the votes decide everything. That's what the quote has sort of been handed down through the decades. The actual quote, which I looked up, is, quote, I regard it as completely unimportant who in the party will vote and how, but it is extremely important who will count the votes and how. And this was way before technology. Uh, Napoleon picked up on that uh, idea or before uh, Stalin, but he, he said something similar. I care not who cast the votes of a nation, provided I can count them. And this has been, you know, uh, tyranny 101 for centuries, long before we had digital voting, which now just makes it easier. Some 18-year-old in a cubicle in Cleveland can change the election in California with a few keystrokes. It's not hard. Uh, remember what Mark Twain said, if voting made a difference, they wouldn't let us do it. So we need to understand that national and state elections are rigged. We also need to understand the presidency, both houses of Congress and the Supreme Court, are compromised. I mean, that, that's, they've, got, they've got evidence, either real or fake, on any key leader. And if that person doesn't play along, they expose them. Just look at what happened to Denny Hastert a few years ago, uh, Speaker of the House, or anybody else. So, and it's not, a, it's not a Republican Democrat thing. I mean, I could tell you if I wanted to be, well, I've mentioned this elsewhere, but just, you know, there is a difference between Republicans and Democrats in terms of the level of their evil, uh, but they're both evil. Uh, it doesn't, you know, Republicans are not saints and Democrats are not, you know, demons. Uh, they're, they're all compromised, and that's the reason that they put on this show and they make it seem like everything's, happening and we've got to fight for this cause or fight for that cause or protest for this cause or protest for that cause and nothing ever changes. Morally speaking, is the fabric of our country today better than it was 10 years ago? 20 years ago? 50? Of course not. Of course not. Now that doesn't mean there's not pockets of revival and again, God-fearing saints in certain sectors of our country who are doing their best to implement biblical principles and stand for truth and put a stop to this evil. But the, the overall ship is headed in one direction. And, and we know not only that that's true just from common sense and looking at the evidence, but we also know that's true from the biblical narrative. 
Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.13 that evil men and impostors will get worse and worse. Depravity is a degenerative disease. It does not get better with time. And until the Lord Jesus comes back, things are going to get worse. But the last thing I want to mention about the government is we need to remember God is sovereign. God is sovereign. In other words, uh, ultimately, nothing happens unless he allows it. And he's working out his plan, and as I said, uh, he's not willing that any should perish. And so the reason that the Luciferians haven't ushered in the one world system is because God's sovereignty has not allowed it. We know that his plan is for the Bible to come full circle back to a globalist regime, first under Satan's control and ultimately under Christ's control. And ultimately Satan and all of his fallen demons will be cast into the lake of fire, which Jesus said was prepared for the devil and his angels in Matthew 25. But until that time, we know what the Bible says we're headed to. But God is sovereign. Proverbs tells us the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. So having kind of spent some time talking about what the government is, what do we know about those who are behind the scenes pulling the strings of our government? What do we know about them? Well, first of all, we know that they have a very big advantage in the battle for truth because they have at their disposal the controlled media. Uh, Gary Allen, again, uh, commenting on uh, Carol Quigley's work in Tragedy and Hope, said, uh, we believe the picture painters of the mass media are artfully creating landscapes for us which deliberately hide the real picture. We've talked about Operation Mockingbird and how the media has been controlled in this country for many, many decades. David Rockefeller actually said in that same speech before the Trilateral Commission in June of 1991, we are grateful to the Washington Post and New York Times and Time Magazine and other great publications whose directors have attended our meetings and respected their promises of discretion for almost 40 years because it would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we'd been subject to the bright lights of publicity and scrutiny during all these years. Maybe that's why US, former U.S. President Thomas Jefferson, toward the beginning of the founding of this country, said people who don't read the newspapers know more than those who do. Because the mass media is a key uh, figure in advancing this Luciferian agenda. And uh, we've talked about Operation Mockingbird, and I've shown you examples of that. I think I addressed that in part five of Spirit of the Antichrist. Uh, but we need to understand that in terms of these that are pulling the strings, that this is what the Bible tells us is going to happen. Uh, remember, uh, the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world, setting the stage for the final climactic battle between good and evil, between God and Satan. Uh, and, uh, and it's already at work. Uh, in fact, John tells us, even now many Antichrists have come, and they're working according to the spirit of the Antichrist. Well, what do we know about the Antichrist when he comes? Paul calls him the lawless one, and he says he's going to use all kinds of power and signs and lying wonders. And then he goes on to say that that mystery of lawlessness is already at work in the world today. Paul warned in 1 Timothy that uh, in the latter times, many people will fall prey to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Jesus himself said, uh, to the unbelieving scribes who were blaspheming him, said, you are of your father the devil. And the devil does not stand in the truth. There's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he, the devil, is a liar and the father of it. So has the government lied to us in the past? 
Well, let's find out. I mean, liars lie. It's what they do. And if the, the Luciferians that are pulling the strings behind the scenes, as we've seen in their own language, uh, are doing the bidding of Satan, who's a liar from the beginning and cannot do anything but lie, we would expect this to be the case. Uh, false flag operations have been around for several hundred years. In fact, to this day, they still teach false flag operations and stand-down operations in the American War College. It's a very common technique in war. But a false flag gets its name from back in the days when uh, battles were fought with old battleships, you know, and they didn't have the type of technology and air, airplanes and so forth uh, to, that they have today. But a, a ship would take down its country's flag, hoist the flag of an enemy nation, and then go attack itself, one of its other ships, and make it look like the enemy did it. And then all the people would say, oh, our enemy attacked us. We've got to go get them. And then they take down that enemy flag, put theirs back up, and off their fleet would go to go uh, attack the enemy nation that really attacked them. But it didn't attack them at all. It's a false flag. And we've seen many of these in our own country. Some of you are old enough to remember the Gulf of Tonkin incident. August 4th, 1964 was when it allegedly occurred and resulted in America getting into the Vietnam War that resulted in 58,220 U.S. soldiers perishing. Fifty years later, not too long ago, just a few years ago, finally, they released all of the, uh, con uh, the uh, confidential documents, the uh, 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 papers about that, and guess what? What many had been saying for many years, it proved to be the case. That never happened. Let me repeat that. The Gulf of Tonkin, by the government's own admission, never happened. Look it up. It was a false flag. They needed some reason to get America into the war. And so they staged a, an incident in the Gulf of Tonkin. Uh, we could talk about Operation Gladio. NATO used this. Uh, they were trying to uh, get, during the Cold War, get you know, people riled up so that they could continue to, to go in and and uh, you know, nation build basically. So they created, in conjunction with the CIA, this Operation Gladio, where uh, soldiers would uh, dress up like terrorists and uh, in Italy and blow up uh, restaurants and cafes and things and blame it on the enemy. Uh, uh, what about uh, you know the ex the explosion of the uh, the main? Uh, again, that was a complete false flag. Uh, it led to our getting involved in the Spanish-American War in 1998. The government completely lied about it. Uh, the USS Maine was a ship that arrived in Havana Harbor on January 25, 1898 to protect U.S. interests and civilians during the Spanish rioting in Havana, Cuba. And uh, this had a calming effect on the riots. And then on February 15th, the forward hull of the Maine exploded in a devastating blast and was sunk. 266 of the 355 sailors were killed. Well, the papers of Hearst and Pulitzer uh, wasted no time in casting the blame on the Spanish and sounded the alarm to go to war. The Navy, in another classic case of the government investigating itself, determined that a mine caused the blast, and, uh, and that they didn't have any evidence for it. That's just what they declared. But that helped the public make up its mind, and that's where we got the... Uh, the big motto in all the papers, remember the main to heck with Spain, if, to put it more uh, politely. 
That was the cry. Well, newspaper mogul William Randolph Hearst was involved in the conspiracy to get the U.S. into the war. Among his employees was the famed illustrator Frederick Remington, and Hearst sent Remington to Havana to get uh, pictures and report back on anything that was happening. Well, by the time he got there, it was all quiet. There was no, it was no big deal. Nothing was really going on. And, and Remington cabled back to Hearst, everything quiet. No trouble here. There's no war. I wish to return. Well, in response to Remington's message, Hearst replied, please remain. You furnish the pictures and I'll furnish the war. See, nothing as, is, as it really happens. Hermann Goering, during World War II, understood this principle very well. He said, the people can always be brought to do the bidding of the leaders, tell them they are being attacked, and denounce the peacemakers for lack of patriotism and exposing the country to danger. It is the leaders of the country who determine the policy, and it is always a simple matter to drag people along, whether it's a democracy or whatever kind of government, voice or no voice, the people can always be brought to the bidding of the leaders. And you say, well, that was... Those were in other countries, or that was a long time ago. We would never do that now. I mean, this is the United States, right? There's no depravity in the United States, and there's certainly no tyranny in Washington, D.C. Somehow, the Beltway protects us from that. Those are good people there. They're just good servants. Well, what about Operation Northwood? Surely uh, you've heard about this. Once again, declassified documents show that in 1962, the American Joint Chiefs of Staff signed off on a plan to blow up American commercial airplanes and commit terrorist acts on American soil. And then they were going to blame the Cubans in an effort to get the American public to support an invasion of Cuba. I mean, there's been an ABC News report about this. Once the documents were declassified, um, you know, uh, there was an interview with a former Washington investigative producer uh, with Peter Jennings. Fortunately, President Kennedy refused to sign off on the plan uh, that had been approved by General Limnitzer, the, the chairman of the Joint uh, chiefs of staff, but they were basically uh, going to uh, take a a plan uh, a plane and full of American citizens and shoot it down and blame it on the the, the Cubans. Right? Uh, we could go on and on about previous times when the America the American government has lied to its own uh, citizens. What about the Tuskegee syphilis study? This was from the early half of the first half of the 20th century, and yet it was still getting airtime during the Clinton administration when they finally agreed to pay reparations because they were using innocent citizens as guinea pigs to do scientific studies. Sound familiar? Uh, what about the Stateville Penitentiary Malaria study in the 40s? It involved over 400 prisoners who were illegally infected with malaria so they could be studied without knowing it. What about the Navy-sponsored beef blood transfusions? when members of the Navy, which the government often uses its own military personnel in as guinea pigs, there were 64 uh, Navy men who were injected with cow blood, and all of them suffered catastrophic effects, ending in death. What about plutonium testing? Uh, while the U.S. was busy with the Manhattan Project to create the atomic bomb, they were also working on uh, plutonium and trying to figure out how they could use it in uh, warfare and then and we've got the World War II mustard gas experiments. Uh, surely most people have heard about that. It's estimated nearly 60,000 citizens were subjected to mustard gas during these uh, tests. There's a great video, not great in the sense of what it shows, but it's a, it's a fascinating expose on uh, 
uh, this type of thing from July 19, 1957. Five Air Force officers and one photographer stood out together on a patch of ground about 65 miles northwest of Las Vegas. They marked the spot ground zero, population five, on a hand-lettered sign hammered into the soil. And if you watch the video, as you watch, directly overhead, two F-89 jets roar into view, and one of them shoots off a nuclear missile carrying an atomic warhead. They wait. There's a countdown. You can hear it on the video. And 18,500 feet above them, the missile is detonated and blows up, which, of course, means that these men intentionally were stood directly underneath an exploding two-kiloton nuclear, nuclear bomb. One of them, at the key moment, uh, he's the one wearing the eyeglass, the sunglasses there, kind of right in the middle, looks up right at the mushroom cloud in uh, the sky. Well, the nuclear fallout didn't just stay at the test site. Uh, those guys all died horribly painful deaths. But as nuclear fallout does, it drifted. And one estimate found that the testing led to nearly 49,000 cancer deaths in that region of the country. What about Operation Paperclip? In Operation Paperclip, the U.S. raced against the Soviet Union to attain as many Nazi scientists as possible coming into our country. Now, why would they want to do that? Um, so, you know, you've got uh, people like, for example, uh, uh, Major General Walter Dornberger, who was taken captive in the war in April of 1945, at the end of the war. He's the one that oversaw the creation and manufacturing of the V-2 guided missile which killed over 5,000 British civilians during World War II. And yet, we rewarded him by making him the CEO of Bell Laboratories and a multi-millionaire. Speaking of Dornberger, uh, the Fuhrer himself said to Dornberger on July 8, 1944, I have had to apologize only to two men in my whole life. The first was Field Marshal von Brauschitz. I did not listen to him when he told me again and again how important your research was, talking to Dornberger. And the second man is yourself. I never believed that your work would be successful. Adolf Hitler thanking Dornberger for his work in slaughtering thousands. But what do you do with Nazis? You bring them over and you put them in charge of American companies. What about Warner von Braun? Um, you know, rather than taking these war criminals and bringing them to justice, we put them on the cover of Time magazine and make them heroes. Why? Because it's not about what it's about. There were higher forces at play. The Nazis didn't lose the war, they just moved over uh, to America. Uh, Operation Sea Spray, getting closer in time to, our, to the present day, was a secretive experiment to test biological warfare on the west coast near San Francisco, where they would spray all kinds of things into the air on the unsuspecting citizens of San Francisco. San Francisco is a favorite, favorite target of, of uh, these types of things. They did MKUltra there. They also at one point talked about putting sedatives in the uh, public uh, water system because, you know, these San Franciscans are just too wild, too many protests. We need to just get them to all calm down. So we'll just secretly drug them with uh, the water. What about Operation Big Buzz? I've talked about these in one of my Culture Shock uh, videos where we released all kinds of mosquitoes knowingly carrying yellow fever into Georgia parks in the state of Georgia, or the measles vaccine experiment from the 1990s led by the CDC. Doctors were trying to figure out if they could use uh, this to replace natural antibodies in babies, and so they injected thousands of babies in the third world with this drug. And, and it led to several immune problems in the babies and also 
fertility problems, and many, many, many deaths. And finally, after 1,500 babies in the United States were also injected, the study uh, came to an end, but not before thousands were affected. One of the most shocking was uh, the Willowbrook experiments that took place in Willowbrook State School and up in Staten Island, uh, New York, a school for the mentally handicapped children, and they just used them all as guinea pigs. Um, and, and they would do horrific things to them involving trying to find cures for hepatitis. They would infect them with hepatitis and then do have control groups that wouldn't get treatment and some would get treatment. And uh, it was horrific. Uh, I mentioned MKUltra. Uh, talked about that elsewhere. This has been dealt with in mainstream media uh, where we, you, uh, Eli Lilly, the big pharma company, uh, used... Uh, Psychotrop invented psychotropic invented LSD by the way invented by the CIA uh, to try to experiment on mind control that they could then use on prisoners of war to get them to uh, say what they wanted them to say. They did all kinds of other methods of torture, not just chemicals like LSD, but electroshocks, hypnosis, sensory deprivation, isolation, verbal and sexual abuse, as well as other forms uh, of uh, torture. And this was uh, again. Uh, all blown wide open. Some of you may not be aware of the history of water fluoridation. Uh, fluoride chemicals are added over 65% of U.S. water supplies as a drug to treat people for tooth decay. Studies show fluoridation is ineffective, health robbing, and wastes tax dollars. Scientific evidence shows that fluoride is not safe to ingest, and areas that fluoridate their drinking water Supplies have higher rates of cavities, cancer, dental fluorosis, osteoporosis, and many other health problems. Because of the push from the aluminum industry, pharmaceutical companies, and weapons manufacturers, fluoride continues to be added to water supplies all over North America. And due to recent legal actions against water companies that will make it impossible uh, for suits to be filed against water supplies, it continues. At the end of World War II, Here's the history. The U.S. government sent Charles Elliott Perkins, a research worker in chemistry, biochemistry, physiology, pathology, to take charge of the vast Farben chemical plants in Germany. I'm sure you've heard that name, Farben. The German chemists told Perkins of a scheme which they had devised during the war and had adapted, been adapted by the general uh, staff of the German army. The German chemists explained of their attempt to control the population in any given area through mass medication of drinking water using sodium fluoride, a tactic used in German and Russian prison, prisoner of war camps to make prisoners stupid and docile. This is all documented. Farben had developed plans during the war to fluoridate the occupied countries because it was found that fluoridation could, could cause slight damage to a specific part of the brain, making it more difficult for the person affected to defend his freedom and causing the individual to become more docile. Fluoride remains one of the strongest antipsychotic substances known and is contained in 25% of major tranquilizers. You look at the pharmaceutical ingredients in the major uh, prescription tranquilizers, they contain fluoride. Well, it may not seem surprising that Hitler's regime practiced the concept of mind control through chemical means, but the American military continued Nazi research, exploring techniques to incapacitate an enemy or Medicaid and entire nations, as revealed in the Rockefeller Report, a presidential briefing on CIA activities. The drug program, quote, was part of a much larger CIA program to study possible means of controlling human behavior. The dental cavities prevention myth associated with fluoride originated in the United States in 1939 when a scientist named Gerald J. Cox 
was employed by Alcoa, the Aluminum Company of America, the largest producer of toxic fluoride waste as a byproduct of creating aluminum. And they were being threatened by fluoride damage claims and uh, lawsuits and so forth. Uh, so they uh, needed some way, something to do with all of this waste. So in 1947, Oscar R. Ewing, a longtime Alcoa lawyer, was appointed to head the Federal Security Agency, a position that placed him in charge of the Public Health Service at the time, the precursor to the Health and Human Services. Over the next three years, 87 new American cities began fluoridating their water. This is classic Luciferian elite stuff. They've got a problem, so they're going to make us the victims and get us to pay for it at the same time. <laughs> you know, they make a byproduct of aluminum, uh, the, the, fluor the sodium fluoride, uh, out to be a good thing. Here, buy this thing. It'll really help you. Put it in your water, right? The former EPA scientist in 1992, Robert Carlton, said, quote, fluoridation is the greatest case of scientific fraud of this century. Don't believe me? Just go home and look at your tube of toothpaste. And on the back, you'll see that it contains sodium fluoride, and you'll also see warnings, keep out of reach of children. If more than used for brushing is accidentally swallowed, get medical help or contact Poison Center right away. Here's Crest, same thing. Warning, keep out of reach of children. If you accidentally swallow more than used for brushing, seek professional help or contact Poison Control immediately. Here's one that says, if more than a pea-sized amount is used or swallowed, call poison control immediately. Well, a pea-sized amount of toothpaste, which nobody uses that, has the same amount of fluoride as one to two glasses of fluoridated water. So if you're listening to this and you live in a metropolitan area, you need to find out if there's fluoride in your water. You can buy filters. We've used them for years to filter out the fluoride. It is not healthy. Has the government lied to us in the past? Obviously. Obviously. So can we trust the government? We'll end where we started. Um, you know, I mentioned last week that uh, six centuries before Christ, the prophet Jeremiah uh, talked about the governmental leaders of his day, the official in power, and he said, Our leaders are stupid. They've not sought the Lord's advice. They don't act wisely. And the people they're responsible for have all been scattered. And as I said before, that prophet, if he lived today, would say the same thing about our leaders. Proverbs 25 says, Confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. Is your trust in President Biden? Is it in Fauci? Is it in Gates or Francis Collins? Proverbs 28 says, When the righteous rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked arise, men hide themselves. It goes on to say the same thing a few verses later. When the, wicked when the wicked arise, men hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. Absolutely. When Luciferian evil people die and the righteous can flourish, that's a good thing. When the wicked are rising and becoming more and more in control, that's a bad thing. So how can we tell whether the government is lying or not? Uh, let me give you some telltale signs. First of all, watch for facts that are verifiably false. Now, this is going to take you, you know, going to require you to use your head and not just gobble up everything the mainstream media says, but watch for facts that are verifiably false. Uh, for example, you're seeing more and more local news stations use this common technique of, they call verify, where they're 
allegedly answering, you know, uh, listeners or viewers' questions, and then they try to verify it. Uh, so let's see what this segment uh, has uh, to say. Hang on, let me see if I can fix the sound. It should be coming out here. Let me ask you, wire mask again. Some people wonder if they even work. Hunter Signs puts the claim to the test and verifies the science. We wanted to set the record straight and get rid of any confusion. We asked, how do masks work? Our sources, the CDC, specifically this science brief from May of 2021, and Dr. Katie Passaretti with Atrium Health. In the brief, the CDC says the goal of a mask is to reduce the spread of respiratory droplets. The CDC found multiple layers of a mask with high thread counts work better than single layers with lower thread counts. In some cases, filtering nearly 50% of fine particles less than one micron. Several studies have shown if a COVID carrier who doesn't wear a mask is around another maskless person, that person has a high risk of catching respiratory droplets that carry COVID. If at least one person is wearing a mask, there's less risk. But if both people are wearing masks, it's your best bet to not catch COVID-filled droplets. Dr. Passaretti says the fitting of a mask is crucial, too. With a mask, and that mask that has the closer fitting um, does a better job of protecting you, protecting those around you from your kind of respiratory secretions and whatnot. So, sure, you can feel your breath through your masks, but the idea is to block respiratory droplets. You do have to breathe, after all. So, our verify question, do masks help prevent the spread of COVID-19? Our sources, again, for this one is the CDC with a similar explanation. The CDC says after multiple studies around the world, they found cloth masks not only effectively block most large droplets, but also block the exhalation of fine droplets and particles smaller than 10 microns. So we can verify, yes, masks do work in preventing the spread of COVID-19. With your Verify, I'm Hunter Signs. Well, you know, the CDC says so. That proves it, right? By the way, in a related story, the Committee of Foxes just announced that after an exhaustive study, the hens in the hen house are completely safe. Right? This is verifiably false. It is a lie. Now, these people are just parroting, they're just reading a teleprompter, but, so I'm not faulting them, but it is verifiably false. Uh, I've shown this in many examples. Here's one, 47 studies confirm the ineffectiveness of masks. On my website, in the Not Bad Works website, if you click on COVID data, there's over 100 studies from the last 100 years that show that masks are not only ineffective, uh, but uh, dangerous. And we've seen the evidence. There's there's the opening in a traditional mask that most people wear. There's the size of the virus, 50 times smaller. If you're wearing this mask thinking you're going to keep the COVID-19 virus from getting to your nostrils, you are believing a lie. It is a verifiable lie. I talked about uh, two sessions ago, one of the best articles I've ever seen came out August 11th. It's a comprehensive, lengthy article. It's linked up 
at my website at uh, the COVID data page. Just go to the notbyworks.org, click COVID data. It's right there. There's a link. But he explains how all the, you know, peer-reviewed uh, studies with the, you know, control groups and random control studies and all of that all show that masks are completely useless and some show that it's even dangerous. But the CDC, according to its own website, instead changed the, the science on whether masks work based on two hairstylists in a little boutique in New England, based on observational studies, not controlled, randomized studies. So there's, again, it's not about what it's about. There's something else at play here. Uh, and then here's this verifiably false lie that COVID days, uh, cases are rising in the U.S. and the CDC warns of a pandemic of the unvaccinated. It's all about the unvaccinated. New COVID cases are among people who've not been vaccinated. Uh, and yet, as we've proven again and again, here's one study even by the CDC that in fact shows three quarters of the cases, 75%, uh, were among the vaccinated. I mean, they can't even keep their own lies straight. Same story. This was in Massachusetts, 74%. Uh, 49 fully vaccinated individuals in New Jersey have died from COVID. Senator Ron Johnson says 84% of COVID victims in Israel were vaccinated. 75% of the cases in Singapore among the vaccinated. 88% in India among the vaccinated. Gibraltar and uh, Iceland, who had over 90% of their population vaccinated, have seen a huge spike in their cases since they were all vaccinated. Uh, 47% of new cases this week are in the vaccinated. Uh, this professor says half of the serious COVID-19 cases in his hospital are among the vaccinated. So watch for facts that are verifiably false. They can say over and over again that it's the unvaccinated that are getting sick. And by the way, if someone gets sick within two weeks of getting the vaccine, they count them as unvaccinated. That's the CDC's own website. You're not considered vaccinated until two weeks after you got the jab. All right. And yet, even with that, uh, you know, sort of unfair advantage, for lack of a better characterization, uh, it's still patently obvious that it's the vaccinated that are getting sick. Another telltale sign is watch for waffling. So let's just kind of watch this little uh, gem of a clip. It's about three and a half minutes. People should not be walking around with masks. Let me just state for the record that masks are not theater. Wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better. And masks are protective, and we, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. There has not been any indication that putting a mask on and wearing a mask for a considerable period of time has any deleterious effects. There are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of staying inside there? Of course. You do not need to wear a mask indoors if, in fact, you've been vaccinated. Good that you're vaccinated, but in a situation where you have people indoors, particularly crowded, you should wear a mask. So even if you are vaccinated, you should wear a mask. If, in fact, you are vaccinated, fully vaccinated, you are protected, and you do not need to wear a mask outdoors or indoors. When the children go out into the community, you want them to continue to wear masks. You know, if you look at, at, at children outside, particularly when they're with the family, uh, walking down the street, playing a game or what have you, don't have to wear a mask. The, 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 the pediatric, the Academy of Pediatric, actually makes that recommendation that children should be wearing masks 
uh, from two years old onward. And you're asking now if your child is a member of your household, can you walk outdoors with your child without a mask? According to that chart, the answer is yes. But the child can't, not to beat it, yeah. beat it to death. Yeah. Yes, yes. Because okay. now okay. the CDC says, I mean, I think I've got this right. One mask is better than zero masks. Two masks is better than one mask. But you don't have to have double masks. Is, is that right? I mean... You know, it became clear that cloth coverings that you didn't have to buy in a store, that you could make yourself, were adequate. And then you wanted to fit better. So one of the ways you could do it, if you would like to, is put a cloth mask over, which actually here and here and here where you could get leakage in is much better contained are you a double masker dr fauci it looks like you are it originated in china um we only have a little time left i want to ask you sources are telling cnn the top health officials are weighing whether to revise mask guidelines for vaccinated americans are you part of those conversations and if so what are you advising do you think masks yeah. should be brought back for vaccinated americans you know, Jake, this is under active consideration. If you're asking, am I, part of, am I part of the discussion? Yes, I am part of the discussion. But I think what you are seeing, even though as of our conversation at this moment, the CDC still says and recommends that if you are vaccinated fully, that you do not need to wear a mask indoors. However, if you look at what's going on locally in the trenches, in places like L.A. County, the local officials have the discretion, and the CDC agrees with that ability and discretion capability to say, you know, you're in a situation where we're having a lot of dynamics of infection, so even if you are vaccinated, you should wear a mask. That's a local decision that's not incompatible with the CDC's overall recommendations that give a lot of discretion to the locals. And we're seeing that in L.A., we're seeing it in Chicago, we're seeing that in New Orleans because the officials there, many of them are saying, even if you're vaccinated, it's prudent to wear a mask indoors. So that's a local decision. All right, Dr. Fauci, thank you so much for your time today. We really... Uh... I don't have enough fingers on my hands to count the number of times he's waffled on this issue. This is not... This would be like a world-class mathematician, because he's supposed to be a world-class virologist, struggling over two plus two. Basic severe acute respiratory syndrome, upper respiratory viruses, have been studied and known and written about in thousands of peer-reviewed journal articles by the top scientists in the world, and they know whether masks will prevent a virus. You saw the, the, the microscopic view of it. They can't. And that's the reason they're waffling. It's not about what it's about. So watch for signs of waffling, like this one from Walensky. I talked about this uh, once before, but... On uh, March 29th, she told uh, the Rachel Maddow show, vaccinated people do not carry the virus. They don't get sick, and it's not just in the clinical trials, but it's also in the real world. Fast forward to July 30th, she says vaccinated and unvaccinated people carry the virus, and they can get sick, and they can transmit the virus. Waffling. Waffling. The Bible says, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. James tells us a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So watch for waffling. That's a telltale sign you're being lied to. Watch for logical fallacies. Watch for logical fallacies. Now this one, uh, the media comes at us so fast with repetition 
that we sometimes don't stop to think, what did they just say? But let's take this logical fallacy for example. You've got the unvaccinated on the left and the vaccinated on the right. And as we said at the outset, they are pushing these vaccine mandates. They're getting more and more and more prevalent. It's getting to be where soon you won't be able to go to the grocery store. You won't be able to buy gas. You won't be able to get on a plane. You won't be able to cross state lines. You won't be able to go to school. You won't be able to open a bank account if you don't have a vaccine passport, a government approved. We're going to talk about that in a second. Vaccine passport proving you've had the jab. So what they tell us about the unvaccinated. So if you're, if these two people are standing at the door of a restaurant and the one on the left doesn't get in because if you're not vaccinated, you can get COVID-19. You can spread COVID-19. And you might have it and not even know it, be asymptomatic. And you've also got to wear a mask and you've got to socially distance. By contrast, the CDC has said unequivocally, very plainly, that if you're vaccinated, you can get COVID-19, you can spread COVID-19, you might have it and not even know it, be asymptomatic, you've got to wear a mask and you've got to socially distance. So I ask you, what purpose does it serve to segregate two people and let one in and keep the other out if they both have the same issues? No, it's a logical fallacy. It's never about what it's about. It's not about protecting anyone or protecting health. It's about control. It's about the Internet of Bodies that we talked about. And I showed you some horrific things from the World Economic Forum and some you know, video clips of what they're wanting to do and the Internet of Things and the Internet of Bodies. But here's another logical fallacy as it relates to critical race theory. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they use all these buzzwords that make people think it sounds good, like equity, for example. Well, here's, here's the difference between equality and equity. Do you see the difference? See, equality says everyone's got the same opportunity. Yeah, some people are going to be taller. They might have a better view of the baseball game. Some people are going to be shorter. But they've all got the equal chance. Equity says, no, no, no. That's not enough. We've got to make sure that the people that have advantages get put upon and punished and criticized, and we've got to put them in a hole. And the poor people who are you know, shorter and just didn't have as many advantages. We've got to elevate that. That's the difference. That's a logical fallacy. Right? So watch for logical fallacies. Watch for hidden agendas. Watch for hidden agendas. I talked about this. The Department of Homeland Security on August 13th issued a new terror warning. At the top of the list was anybody who's opposed to COVID measures. So my name is J.B. Hickson, and I am a terrorist. All right? Uh, and so are you if you believe the science. If you believe masks don't work and are actually dangerous, you're a terrorist. Even though the science backs that up and has for 100 years, I've got over 100 peer-reviewed journal articles from American Medical Association, Journal of New England Journal of Medicine, Lancet in Britain, all showing it. And, and hundreds of thousands of doctors, by the way, have gone on record saying that. Uh, so you're a terrorist. Um, here's the, the bulletin itself from the Homeland Security uh, website. Um, so... Uh, you know, here's a document from the World Health Organization just released August 27th. It's a 99-page document. I downloaded it from the World Health Organization website detailing the global implementation of a verifiable uniform COVID-19 digital passport. So what have we been saying is coming? What have some people been saying was coming from 
since, you know, for the last several decades. Remember, COVID-19 is not a novel coronavirus. That's smoking gun evidence of that. It was it's 22 years old. There were patents for it. It was created in the laboratory. They just rolled it out. I talk about that in uh, uh, part three. Um, so they've been talking about th this type of global domination. What did Rockefeller say? What did the Carol Quigley say? This is what they've been wanting to do. And now they're giving this document to all the different governments and saying this is the prototype. This is how it's going to be rolled out. And here's how you can implement it. 99 pages on how to implement a uh, global, uniform, verifiable COVID-19 digital passport. Because some people are using one app. Some people are using a paper signed by a nurse. Some people are using this. They've got to have a way to control you. They just, the federal government just recently announced it's a seven-year penalty, imprisonment is the penalty for anyone caught using a fake COVID-19 vaccine passport. And that was on mainstream news, seven years in jail. Um, so, so, I mean, this is, this is what it's really all about. Uh, just today, um, uh, this article came out. Two top FDA officials resigned over the Biden administration's booster shot plan, saying it insisted on the policy before the agency even approved it. I saw this uh, news that they had resigned yesterday, and there was no story about why. It was just sort of they resigned. I knew there was something fishy, and now we see this report today. So there's always something there hidden. What's the hidden agenda? The vaccine is not about keeping us safe from a virus that 99.8% of people globally survive and is no worse than a bad cold for some people. Do some people die? Absolutely. And people die every year of the flu. And it's tragic when anybody dies. But to give it a name and claim it's a pandemic, that's the lie. By the way, for children, the from epidemiologists who study this for a living, statistically the chance of a child between under the age of 17 dying of COVID is statistically zero. It's point five zeros and a two or seven, I can't remember, but it's statistically zero. There were more children under the age of 17 that died of the flu on record in the CDC's own record in the 2019-2020 flu season than have died from COVID so far in 18 months. And we never made them wear masks from age two up for eight hours a day. And we never forced them to get this gene editing bioinjection. So watch for hidden agendas. Watch for a history of deception. Watch for a history of deception. So again, the Centers for Disease Creation, the CDC, said in 1958, smoking does not cause cancer. They said in 1992, Lyme disease is not a problem. Nothing to see here. It's just made up. It's a psychological problem. And for the real history, by the way, of the cause of Lyme disease, look up Plum Island and the Montauk Monster. In some of our travels and researching for my book and for some of my other presentations, we visited the Montauk um, site of the Montauk Monster that washed ashore on July 23rd, 2008 from Plum Island, which is a secret bioweapon center where they experiment on animals and then dump their carcasses into the ocean. And uh, that's where Lyme disease came from. It washed up on the shore in Connecticut and became a... A, a, a real uh, a problem. Uh, the CDC said childhood vaccines don't cause autism spectrum disorder. Uh, well, we know that's not true because the first ever peer-reviewed study of vaccinated versus unvaccinated children uh, that came out in 2017 showed that vaccinated children have a 4.7 times higher rate of autism spectrum disorder. And then a whistleblower released this gem, under a FOIA request that slipped out, 
under the CDC's own internal research that showed for the first time comparing vaccinated versus unvaccinated. And the vaccinated were 7.6 times more likely to get autism, five times more likely to have sleep disorders, 2.1 times more likely to have speech disorders, and 1.8 times uh, whatever NDD is. So uh, if you look at the statistics for autism, it's like a, it's like a rocket going uh, straight up, you know. This is just through 2012, which was 1 in 88 children. Today, it's 1 in 50, right? I mean, think about it. As the vaccines have increased to now where we, we, we stick our kids with over 60 childhood vaccines, four, it used to be three when I was a kid. As they've gone up, the instances of autism have gone up. Leo Kanner uh, was the guy who actually first diagnosed and classified the, the disorder uh, of, uh, uh, I mean, the disease of autism. Uh, he was an Austrian-American. Well, I don't know why so many of them come from Austria. Maybe we do know why. But anyway, uh, he died in 1981. But when he first discovered it, he said, this condition differs markedly and uniquely from anything we've ever seen so far. And by the way, it's worth noting that when the U.S. first occupied Japan after World War II, they put in place a mandatory vaccination program. And a few short years later, hundreds of new cases of autism were diagnosed. Dr. David Ayub is a radiologist and associate professor at Southern Illinois University, a leading researcher who is on record acknowledging that thimerosal, the mercury-based preservative that's added to vaccines, causes autism. And he said, the American Academy of Pediatrics leadership knows very well that vaccines cause autism. We need to stop wasting efforts in trying to educate them and indict them. Right? So the CDC says smoking does not cause cancer. Lyme disease is not a problem. Ch childhood vaccines don't cause autism spectrum disorder. And gene editing bioinjections are perfectly safe and effective. And we know because we did eight months of no testing before we approved it. <laughs> Never trust a liar. Liars lie. It's what they do. And watch for censorship. This is another telltale sign. It's always the truth that is censored. They never censor their own lies. They censor the truth. That's the nature of censorship. That's the essence of censorship. It's censorship 101. You censor lies, right? Because you don't want, I mean, you censor the truth. You don't want people to know the truth. So you censor the truth. And that's why Forbes magazine, as I pointed out before, in their uh, July 30th, 2020 article said, whatever you do, don't do your own research when it comes to COVID. Don't do it. Just trust the government. Just trust the government. Uh, you know, just stick your head in the sand. Believe what we're telling you. We would never lie. And yet, as I pointed out, hundreds of thousands of medical doctors reject the government's COVID narratives all across the world. Some of them are losing their license. They're being arrested. Um, we saw over in uh, Germany, a group called Doctors for Information uh, that puts out a, put out a document with over 500,000 copies in circulation every week. And they've gone on record saying the corona panic is a play. It's a scam, a swindle. It's high time we understood that we're in the midst of a global crime. They also organized mass protests throughout Europe. You don't see anybody covering this. No mainstream media coverage of millions of people showing up. And 12 million citizens in Europe signed on with what the doctors are saying. Uh, here's from Doctors for Truth, a group in Spain. 
Uh, again, thousands upon thousands of people. COVID-19 is a false pandemic created for political purposes. This is a world dictatorship with a sanitary excuse. We urge doctors, the media, and political authorities to stop this criminal operation by spreading the truth. And then, of course, you're familiar with America's frontline doctors and uh, Simone Gold. American life has fallen casualty to a massive disinformation campaign. If Americans continue to let so-called experts and media personalities make their decisions, the great American experiment of a constitutional republic with representative democracy will cease. Simone Gold is America's frontline doctors. I've played videos of Dr. Peter McCullough, who this guy is one of the most credentialed medical professionals in the country. He's appeared before Congress many times as an expert. He's the editor of multiple journals. He's just, I mean, this guy is uh, just amazing, uh, the stuff that, uh, that he has uh, done, and yet he's out there sounding the alarm. Uh, are we to believe that all these hundreds of thousands of reputable doctors who until they started saying, hey, this is a sham, were highly regarded and considered experts, they're all lying, but the government who has a long storied history of lying to its own people and hurting its own people is telling the truth? I mean, think about it. Over 27,000 medical doctors in the USA have signed a petition in support of the documentary Plandemic. Uh, Carrie Madej uh, has written extensively about uh, the nature of this scamdemic. And, of course, Dr. Lee Merritt, who I've seen in person and really highly respect. I highly recommend her website, Dr. Lee Merritt. Uh, she's got some great information about there, especially for those who've t taken the vaccine, a whole vaccine remorse page that can help you stem off what is probably coming in the next six to eight months as those spike proteins make their way through uh, your blood. So can we trust the government? Well, I would say not always. I've given you some telltale signs that can indicate when the government might be lying and when they might not. Uh, and we need to wake up and use our, our head. This is not about what it's about. Uh, if the Lord tarries is coming, we see rough days ahead. Um, but we need to heed the biblical advice. You know, God's word gives us everything we need for life and godliness, Peter tells us. It is the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices, and we need to heed its advice and be prepared. Uh, do not put your trust in princes or other people who cannot save you, but trust, your, uh, trust in the name of uh, the Lord our God. So um, I'll take a few questions if there are any, and uh, that's all I've got for tonight. Uh, hey, do you want to help me with this, Jeffrey? So if you have a question, let Jeffrey hang on to the mic, and I want you to like have them swallow it, basically, because I want our people to be able to hear it on the tape. And even though it sounds kind of loud in here, it really needs to be allowed to be picked up on the mic. So who's got a question or a comment or anything you'd like to say tonight? Nobody. This might be a first, first time ever. We've had no questions or comments. I have a comment. Okay, wait for the mic. I don't want to when uh, you played the clip on the mask equivocation, you know, clip, I was reminded that recently they, Fauci and the CDC and whomever the the powers that be decided that cloth, and in fact, airports are, and airlines are saying that cloth masks are no longer acceptable. 
Yeah. So that's the latest, you know, change in the um, draconian measures that they're spouting. Yeah, you just you can't even keep up. You know, we're gonna have to fly next week, and uh, of course we'll have to wear a mask. You don't you have any choice about it. Um, you know, there are certain lines that I won't uh, cross, but in order to preach the gospel and to uh, to fulfill my obligation at this church that we've been scheduled to go to for many, uh, for a long time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on a mask on the plane. You know, I don't like it, but, you know, two hours won't kill me. If I had to wear eight hours a day, like they're asking children to do all across the country, that will, that will definitely have adverse, uh, to use uh, Fauci's words in one of those clips, deleterious effects, meaning harmful effects. Um, one minute it will, one minute it won't. It depends which clip you look at. But, I, you know, I, we, we have to do what we have to do. So somebody else. Anybody else with a comment or question? Okay. Well, I'm not going to keep you here any longer than we have to. But uh, let me pray. Thank you. And we'll close out our time together. And then, again, no meeting next week. So next Wednesday, please spread the word. No midweek service here. Uh, but I will return with part seven of what the world is going on two weeks from tonight. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for uh, just the opportunity to really look at life as we've been doing now for six weeks through the lens of Scripture and try to interpret as best we can with the help of the Holy Spirit what in the world is going on all around us. And I pray that you give us discernment, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, give us strength and courage to stand firm, and give us the grace that we need to prepare for what ever might be coming down uh, the pike. And Lord, we pray if there's anyone within the sound of my voice that does not know you as their personal Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. And in simple childlike faith, they would place their trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again for their sins and is the only hope for the forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And so uh, for, for those who already know you, I pray that uh, you would, again, give us strength and grace. And Lord, we pray, come quickly, come soon. Uh, we need you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.